This is the Colorado Real Estate Experience, where we talk about building wealth through real estate. My name is Dick Gerard. My co-host is Pat Draw. Today, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to do a question and answer uh, deal, and we are going to talk about the some of the top three questions that we get when uh, people are calling and talking about purchasing a home. So how's it going today, Pat? Great. Yourself? Good, good, good. So, um, so we put a list of, 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 of some questions here that we get all the time and we've been getting for years and it's just, a, I think it's a good time to just talk about those questions because it's, it's out there all the time. So let's start off with um, down payment. I think that is probably the number one question, how much down, and, and I think it's the most uh, misinterpreted question also. Um, so let's talk about down payment. How much do I need for a down payment to purchase a house? Well, so there's, I mean, there's still a misnomer out there. A lot of people think you have to have 20% down. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the last three or four months who thought they had to have 20% down and they just don't. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there are programs. So this goes in many different layers. So let's, let's really discuss them all. Uh, but I mean, there's programs as little as a thousand dollars out of your pocket. However, yeah. we'll just say it this way outside of the down payment assistance programs, which are really the same loans, you just get down payment assistance. So for your down payment, let's think of it this way on a conventional loan, the least amount down, and this is if you're a first time home buyer or haven't owned a home in the last, what, three years, three years. Yep. 3% down, right? So if you if you owned a home in the past, maybe you sold it or whatever, and you've been renting for three years, you would qualify for uh, as a first-time home buyer again and be able to do 3% down on a conventional loan. On FHA loans, you can do 3.5% down anytime, no matter what. You could be your 50th house. If you're FHA, it's only 3.5% down. Um, and then you have VA, if you qualify, you know, as a qualifying veteran, uh, that is 0% down. There's no money down in the VA loans. Right. And, and the VA loans have changed a little bit where this year there really is no cap on that 0% down also. So you can right. buy as much house as you want for, for 0% down. So it's a great deal for, for veterans out there. Yep. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So if you got, so if you think about the two different, really there's, I mean, so there's three different loan types. You've got FHA, you've got VA and you've got conventional and that's essentially where you're at. So if you're not a first time home buyer, and you're just walking in off the street, you're selling a house, the least you can put down is 5% from that perspective. So if you're looking at um, just buying a house and you don't have a ton of money down, or I like right now, we could, this is probably something we'll talk about later anyways. Um, I've got a lot of people who are keeping the house they're in and buying another one, and they save up that 5% down so they can keep the house they're living in, rent it out, turn it into investment property, and then put as little as possible down on the next one. Um, so they get another house. And that's that's five percent down. Yeah. Um, so I mean, really, three, three and a half, or five percent are your least amounts that you're going to get into a house outside of if you're a qualifying veteran, and you can go zero percent down in a VA loan. Yeah, and you know, I think, and we're going to talk about the the next question is about how how we qualify people, but um, most, not most, I, I've had a, a lot of people lately that the down payment has been what limits their qualifications. Right. So you, you know, with, with um, housing prices going up a little bit, 
you know, on a, on a $400,000 house, you're going to need, you know, in 5% down is 20, $20,000, right? Um, so you've got to, uh, you know, you, you, you got to kind of budget that in there, um, you know, with, uh, to, uh, to, to make sure that you have enough, um, to, to qualify, you know, um, and we've got, uh, you know, 3% is 12,000 down. So that kind of gives you an idea, which isn't a lot, you know, it's not, I think people think they need fifty, sixty thousand dollars with a four hundred thousand dollar house where you can get into it for less than twenty thousand dollars with with all your closing costs and everything. So um it, it's something that uh you know that that we but you definitely need to to think about it and you need to have a little bit of money set aside to be able to uh you know to to go into a down payment. Well, that brings up another good question, Dick, that you just, you just mentioned down payment and closing costs. So a lot of people, so beyond just the down payment, a lot of people are going to ask, you know, they think uh, in their mind, once I get the down payment, that's it. And they don't realize the closing costs on a purchase loan, your closing costs cannot be rolled into the loan. Right. They've got to be paid out of the pocket. And here's why. Because what, what happens um, is that like they qualify you for a certain percentage of the value of the home. And when you're buying a house, the purchase price is considered the value um, for all intents and practical purposes. That's what it is. So you buy a house for $100,000. Uh, that is the value of the house. They're going to lend you up to 95% of that if it's 5% down or 97% of it if it's 3% down. So um, you, they won't go any above that. So you're actually paying money out of your pocket to get that 3% or 5% difference or whatever it might be for your particular situation from the value of the house down to the loan amount. And the difference between that, then when you hear like, cause a lot of people, they confuse it. They hear, oh, well, so-and-so just refinanced, they rolled their cost in the loan, can I do that? Right. Well, the difference is this, is the value of the house is an appraised value when you're refinancing your house. It's whatever the new appraised value is, minus whatever your new loan amount is. As long as your loan amount fits in there, you right? I mean, to whatever you're approved up to, whatever percentage that is, you can roll them in. However, there are cases where people refinance and because their loan balance is, let's say 90%, that's a maximum they can do of that value. So that same $100,000 house, their loan amount is $90,000. They may have to write a check just like somebody buying a house for their per or their closing costs at closing because they can't fit it into the loan. So right. there's the difference is that you're actually, instead of having equity in the house you own, you're actually putting money down to establish the equity when you're buying it. So there's no way to roll those closing costs in there because that would make your loan over and above that maximum percentage that they, that they would allow to, to lend on. Right. A absolutely. And I, I, I get that question a lot also with the, with the down payment. That's all you have to do. Now, there are ways to pay for closing costs that, um, you know, we, we can do a seller credit, you know, so the seller can pay those closing costs for you. Um, and also, we can do a lender credit to pay for those closing costs. So there are ways if you only have that $12,000, you know, that 3% down that we can get those other closing costs paid for. Um, so we can, we can talk about that too. And, and there's good and bads with all of those, right? Um, but if, if the seller can pay for it, uh, and that's a, a big negotiating thing when you look at your inspection items and things like that, but the seller can only pay for certain things, but they can pay for closing costs. So that is something to, uh, to remember when you're, when you're purchasing a house. 
Yeah. So, I mean, so a seller, and it depends on the market, but the seller can do seller concessions. Right? Absolutely. They, yeah. So they can do, and again, it, it, like FHA loans, you can go up to 6%. Right. But the seller cannot pay for down payment. Right. Oh, okay. You, yep. meant, you said closing costs. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's that. I, I just wanted to make sure oh, that, okay. <laughs> that we delineated that. I, I did say closing costs, but it, the seller 6%, but only closing costs They you still have to come up with the down payment. Yeah. Closing costs, yep. closing costs and prepaids, which it's another video. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, if, if anybody has any questions about down payment, um, you can text the word down payment to 720-650-6440. Text the word down payment to 720-650-6440. We'd be happy to talk to you about the different down payment options that you have. And down payment assistance, there are... Pat, you, you mentioned that at the very start. There are down payment assistance programs that you can do a, a very low down payment, only $1,000 um, to, towards, your, towards your loan. Yep. So there are definitely some, some options for you there. Yeah. Remember, 3% 3, 3 for first-time home buyers, uh, conventional, 3.5 FHA, nothing on VA, assuming you're a qualifying veteran. It's not open to everybody. Uh, and 5% if you're on a conventional, 5% down if you're not first-time home buyer. Right. All right, great. Um, so let's go on to question number two. So question number two is about qualifying. Okay, what do I qualify for? So let's just walk through the basics of what, you know, the, the numbers that we use for qualifying somebody to, um, to, to buy a house? Well, I mean, so here, so I think the one thing we got to do is this, and this is establishes up front because this kind of tells everything because, uh, because there's a lot of different ways this can go and it gets, you can get into the weeds really quick with it. Uh, if you're not careful because of changing, you get, well, you got so many, so many variables in the environment from the interest rates changing to, uh, the different, like, actual financial pieces to the house that you want to buy. So when, when we talk about you qualifying for something, we're really talking about qualifying for a payment, you know? And so what, let's back into this a little differently and say everything that you're qualifying off of is obviously credit, credit score. Uh, but the biggest thing in, in terms of what you call the amount you qualify for will be the income, your gross monthly income. Um, so if you make, uh, let's say $12,000 a year, um, they are going to go off of the number, the percentage are going to be based off $1,000 a month. So one twelfth, your monthly gross income, that's before taxes and everything else are taken out. That's what you look at. So, um, with that said, it's your income to debt ratio, the percentage of the income you make gross to the debts you have. That's what helps us determine how you qualify. And the biggest thing is, is what we do is there's, there's a space that creates in there, right? So let's use this thousand dollar a month. Uh, figure and let's say you have uh, a couple credit cards and maybe a car loan for in the, the total of those three bills is $300 a month, right? Well, they're going to take those $300 a month in payments, take the percentage of your gross monthly income and whatever the maximum percentage is. And generally speaking, right, this is general. And again, this is all over the board, but let's just use generalities, generalities here since we're talking to a bunch of different people. Um, on FHA, you can qualify usually about 55% of your gross monthly income. And on conventional, usually you can qualify for about 50%. So 
So what they're going to do is look at that income. Let's use that thousand dollar number. Fifty percent of that thousand is five hundred dollars. If you have three hundred dollars in debts already, that gives you two hundred dollars left that you would qualify for. Now, granted, the numbers don't don't jive with what we're talking about because it's obviously you're not going to find a two hundred dollar house payment. But the point is, is that it's that space between your maximum, which would be the maximum they'll lend you is $500 a month worth of bills, and you already have 300, so that gap there, that $200 gap, is what we use to qualify for your house, all right? So what that means is what, what does that mean in terms of a house like price? It's, there's the variables, and this is the hardest thing sometimes to understand for people because it can go a lot of different ways. I know that you and I have talked about this quite a bit um, in terms of what does that mean for each person? It's completely different. Different by person, by area, by type of property. You know, you got taxes, insurance, rates change. So there's so many different things that change that, you know, we we ballpark a number based on when we do it, based on the rates that are at that point in time, and then and we usually give a little cushion to make sure we have that there for fluctuations in rates. But then also too, we try and look at the average percentages for the you know the area you're going to be looking in for your taxes and your potential homeowners insurance. So let's just go through that again. And, and maybe we use a $10,000 a month instead of a thousand and to make it a little more realistic. So let's say you make 10,000 a month and you know, you have $3,000 worth of credit cards, car payments, that type of thing. That means you qualify for a $2,000 payment, right? So uh, on a $2,000 payment, what's included in that, in that payment? It is the principal and interest, right? Yep. The taxes that you pay, the, the real estate taxes and the um, homeowner's insurance and um, any HOA fees that you have and in there, right? Insurance. Right. And mortgage insurance if you have mortgage insurance, right? So all of those need to add up to $2,000. So that's what you were talking about, depending on what type of property or where you're, you're purchasing. If you're purchasing a loft downtown, that the taxes and the, the HOAs are going to um, vary tremendously. They can be $150 a month for the HOA, or they could be $500 a month. So that's going to, that's going to determine, uh, you have to factor that in when you, are, when you are qualifying. So we do give you kind of a guideline of the price that you can look for but it's really the payment that we're qualifying you for, not the price of the property. Well, and here's the reason why this is important because what, you know, it's, it's always, this is the way it's always been done, right? We provide a, a pre-approval letter and it's just the way it works. However, our market is um, not, not fully unique, but definitely unique in comparison to probably the, the entire, you know, the United States. I mean, it, a lot of people that are trying to qualify for houses are bumping up against the maximum that they can borrow to get what they want. And so that, that's where it becomes a little more crucial. Like this isn't a conversation that we have always had, right? I mean, this isn't something that like a lot of people, you know, in the past, it was, you know, you, you, your house fit well into your budget and then you weren't really that close. You're like, hey, you qualify for up to you know, roughly 500,000. You went out and bought a $350,000 house. It really wasn't this question. However, it's, it's happening three or four times out of five right now where we're really bumping up against the maximum somebody qualifies for to get them into the house that they, they want. 
right. especially in the Denver market, just because of the way the market is. So yeah. this has become a lot more important because it's, it's crucial to understand the variables that go into this and how it is. Because, and this is a great example I have on the other day, um, you know, qualified a person, I think it was like 350. And it was like, that's the maximum you're going to go. But we need to look at every, if, you, if you're finding a house for 350, we need to look at that house, right? Before you put the offer on, I need to get the particulars and run it to make sure the numbers work. Because if the tax is on that a little bit higher, it'll be a problem, you know? Right. And, you know, it's hard because you can't always look at what your homeowner's insurance is going to be and stuff like that. I mean, so we feel pretty good. Like, you know, rates are you know, fairly stable right now. So we're not seeing major fluctuations. So that's fine. Um, so we, we get a good idea. But there are some things out there that do make, make things change a little bit. And you mentioned HOA. That's a big one. That's a yep. big one that catches the people because, you know, and I had this conversation just the other day. And it was very confusing to the, the buyer because it was like, they weren't sure if they wanted a single family or a condo. So I actually issued two different letters. I was like, here's your estimated single family pre-approval. Right. Here's your estimated condo or townhome pre-approval based on these things. And so, and here's, this is, this is a really good example, right? Because we were doing it off of a $250 a month HOA, ended up the HOA was like well over $300 that they ended up getting. And right. so it, it just threw off the numbers so much that it was hard. It's like, wait a minute, I thought I was qualified for X. And I was like, you, you were, but you went from a $200 HOA to a 300 and some dollar HOA that, that changed your qualifying by like $40,000. Right. It was a big difference. So no, it's, it's very absolutely. confusing. Absolutely. And, and you, we were talking about an example too, about taxes too. There are some, even neighborhoods in the Denver metro area that have much higher taxes than other neighborhoods because they include different services and different things. So Taxes are a big thing to look at too, because they can range from, you know, I mean, neighborhood to neighborhood for um, quite a bit of difference from $600 a month to, you know, $300 a month. So that, that is something that you definitely need to look at also. Well, you know, it's crazy is I actually had a conversation with an agent yesterday. There's some, a lot of new developments going up. And I guess one of the strategies of the builders is to include everything in their taxes. And so this one that I actually was looking at yesterday, just researching, the taxes were just huge. They were just really, really big. And it come to find out it includes the water, the HOA, the property taxes, uh, trash, like all these different things, right. which I thought, you know, it makes sense from that perspective, but your average person, like we don't, we're not going to count sewer and trash and water against you. Right. You know, so I mean, that, that could be a couple hundred bucks a month. So that it actually reduce, hurts you qualifying right, wise, right? right. I mean, a couple of dollars a month and that's $40,000. Right. It might, it might be easier and it might be cheaper actually to do it that way for you, but qualifying wise, it hurts you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and again, it's only a big deal if you're bumping up against the maximum, but I right. think that's, that's pretty much the norm right now. I mean, most yeah. people are really getting that, they're getting that high because that's what they have to do. You know, it's interesting because I have, I, I, I totally agree with you. Most of of, of the ones I've had in the last six months have been kind of bumping up against those, those things. But lately I've actually been having some people that qualify for more, but they want to keep their payment at a certain level. So that's something interesting. Also, you know, you might qualify for $3,000 a month, but you might only want to spend $2,000 a month. So that is going to, um, obviously limit what you can do also, but that that's how we qualify you is on a payment, you know? So it's definitely, 
um, something that we can have a, a longer conversation with. And it, the other thing that, that, that you touched on, but we haven't talked about, is your credit score definitely drives the different types of products that we, that we use to qualify you also. And that can raise the, the, the payment a little bit if it's a low score and, and maybe get you a little bit better payment if you qualify for more if you have a higher score. So that's something that we definitely look at also. Yeah, absolutely. So well, I just think it's, it was good for us to clear that up only because like, you know, we get, we get a lot of questions, right? Yep. I mean, which is great. Um, and one of the things that's done in the past, it's always fed us to really doing our content um, on the show and we thought maybe we just take some of these questions we've gotten uh, more recently and just put them into a show themselves and hopefully you know at least shed some light uh, I think with what we're doing and how we're going through it I mean I'm sure there's still gonna be some open ends to it that people but obviously they can reach out to us but yeah. at the same time too hopefully it's like okay I understand a little bit better now now when you go into the situation and you let's say you know whether it's the, the, the down payment piece that we talked about earlier I understand the down payment. Okay, now I have a better understanding of that. I still have a bunch more questions, but I have a better understanding. Or, you know, the qualifying piece, which is, like I said, very important because of what we talked about. Oh, now I see. Okay, so, well, I don't want to live in a townhome, or I am only going to live in a townhome, so we probably need to go that route that you were talking about with the qualifying and assume that there's going to be an HOA of X, roughly X number of dollars a month. Right. You know? And it just it's really shedding light on the whole situation so we can figure, uh, help you figure things out a little quicker. Right. And, and, and the other thing, when you're talking about condo versus townhouse versus single family, there are some loans that we can't do on all condos too, right? They're, they have to be FHA approved if you're going to do an FHA loan and that type of thing. So there, there's a lot of things that go into the qualifying, um, the qualifying thing. But if you have questions or you'd like to get qualified or pre-approved uh, to buy a house, you can... Um, Text the word qualify to 720-650-6440. Qualify to 650, I'm sorry, 720-650-6440. And we will um, help you out with any questions you have about qualifying or any of the stuff that we've talked about um, here. So let's go to question number three. And, you know, all three of these questions we've been getting for years. So these are just the, the same questions that we get year after year after year. And um, we're going to expand this into more of the, um, you know, more recent questions that we get. But most of the time, we're answering the same questions over and over again. And one of the big ones that we've been, been getting for the last few years is rental properties. You know, when do I buy my first rental or how do I turn my existing house into a rental property. So let's talk a little bit about that and rentals and when you should really, you know, what's a good strategy to buy rental properties or turn your house into a rental property? Well, I mean, so there's, the good time is whenever you're prepared for it. I mean, that would be the big thing, you know, depending on your goals, especially when you talk about really one of the main things that we're, we're focused on is building wealth through real estate. And there's a number of different ways to do it. So we're not saying that you have to buy rental properties to build wealth. It's, it's, a, it's a very viable way of doing it, and it's a viable way of doing it more quickly. Um, but at the same time, too, I mean, there's, there's pieces of that we, you've got to be prepared for. So I think for anybody that would be looking at that, it's like once you're prepared to uh, take on that 
kind of that, that task of being the owner of an investment property, that's when it's ready at the time. I mean, obviously you gotta have the money and so on and so forth, but I mean, um, it just you just have to look at your strategy. So, you know, like I think in a market like we're in now, what I'm seeing are a number of people who maybe, okay, so you got the fix and flippers, right? I mean, somebody, when you buy an investment property, it doesn't always have to be a rental. It could be something you're buying and fixing up. You yep. know, you might be handy. You might have connections that, you know, where you can get it done cheaply or whatever. Um, but I mean, ideally it just depends on uh, the, the market and how the market is dictating what's out there to buy. And that's where you got to really look at what's going on. Right. Because I mean, if, if you're, if you pay the higher the price you pay for a property, obviously that's going to uh, could have some uh, implications on how you cash flow with the rent. Absolutely. Yeah. So it just depends. I mean, and there's a million different ways to look at it, but I mean, the things we're seeing, Dick, and I, uh, I mean, I can speak for my a lot of the people I'm talking with. I mean, I'm, I'm just seeing a lot of people who are buying, keeping a house they're in, and then buying a new house for themselves, and that's a great strategy. Because maybe they bought it three years ago, and maybe you know, they want to move. They want to they want to accumulate rental properties. So the, the strategy is saying, okay, well, we're going to keep the one we have. We're going to rent this one out. We want to buy this house, but this is what we want now. But we also want to have the thought in mind when we're looking at this house that this is going to become a rental property too. Right. I've got a couple recently that are on their third their third primary residence, leaving now one and two behind for rentals. And right. but I mean, they bought them with that in mind. They never bought and said, "This is going to be my dream home." Right. I mean, they walked into it saying, "Okay." Here's what we want to do as we build our family, uh, as we build wealth and real estate, so on and so forth. You know, you obviously have this increase in your jobs and your, your income. Uh, they've kind of taken those factors in, in, into play and bought that next house. So that, that's, that's a big one I'm seeing right now. So, so let's break that down a little bit because I like that strategy, but there are some, some things that we got to talk about with that. So, the difference in buying a primary residence, well, we talked about down payment, right? We talked about down payment and we talked about um, qualifying for a, for a primary residence is a little different than qualifying for an investment property, right? So you need to put a little bit more money down on an investment property and you the interest rate on that um, loan is a little bit more, right? So that is why your strategy um, that you were just talking about is, is a great strategy. You can put, you, you can buy a property, live in it for at least 12 months and then turn it into uh, a rental property. You can keep that same original loan on the property and then go out and buy a new um, primary residence for 5% down or three or three and a half percent down or something like that, that you can definitely um, move forward with with that, but not having to put twenty or twenty five percent down that um, really makes it advantageous on a on a rental property. Yeah, so it's I mean, something yeah, to think we about. We see a lot of that right now. I mean, that's yeah. that's a big, like I said, especially in the market, because technically, what happens is you can justify a little more if you live in the house for two or three years, because that that's what I'm seeing is that you know right. maybe you're paying a little more for the house right now. But you're living, you're getting an excellent rate. So it means you can cash flow better down the road and you're living in it for a couple of years. And then again, anybody who's seen us at all on any of our podcasts, we, we say this every time, you've got to live somewhere. You're going to pay to live somewhere, right? right? So if you're paying to live somewhere and you're living in that house and you've got an excellent owner occupied type interest rate, you know, compared to the rate that might be a little bit higher uh, for a rental property, you're creating this situation where you got into it for cheaper 
you're paying less per month, which will create more cash flow down the road. And then, like I said, you have to live somewhere anyways. So it just makes that to me, that makes the most sense. Um, you know, unless you're sitting on a pile of cash and you just want to buy houses. Right. Right. Well, and, and I always, um, the first conversation I have with people when they want to turn their house into a rental and move and, and do this strategy is the being a landlord, I think is either the greatest job in the world or the worst job in the world. And it's usually not in between. Right. And it all depends on who's renting your house. Right. You know, I can tell a lot of horror stories of bad renters and bad things that have happened with, uh, with rental properties. But I've also had people that have had renters in there for 10 years and the same people renting and it's been wonderful. So it's, it's kind of, do you want that responsibility of having the rental, you know, being called up in the, in the middle of the night when, you know, the pipes burst or something like that. And you gotta, you gotta get in there and fix it. So there are a lot of good things about being a, a landlord, but there are some, some not so good things uh, of being a landlord too, that you can, um, you, but you have to justify how much you're going to make and how much time is it going to take to rent. And when between renters, are you not, are you getting income, you know, for that you know, two or three months that you have to go in, fix the place up and then, and then rent it again. So there, there are a lot of things that you have to factor in cash flow wise to, uh, to make sure that it makes sense and it can be really great and it can be a pain in the neck also. So, well, so, I mean, that, so it's, so bringing, bringing us all the way back to where we started with this particular question and saying, when is the right time? The right time, in my opinion, is when you've developed that strategy. And one of the beauties of, because everybody, you're going to have your own strategy. I've been the owner of rental properties and I'm honestly, uh, it just wasn't my thing. Right. right. I mean, but you know, I now know a little more, uh, rather than getting them when I'm young and just not thinking about strategizing more like, Hey, I can do this. And here's this plan of building wealth in real estate and it worked. Right. But it was a, it was a headache. And so, uh, but that's, that's because of my personality and everything else I have going on with my job and the rest of my life. Um, and I didn't have a, my strategy wasn't sound enough, you know? Right. So, but one thing that's different for people nowadays compared to where I was 25 years ago doing that, um, is the fact that there's a lot of information available to you on the internet. You know, you can right. research people's strategies who have been through all this stuff. Right. You can see their successes and failures and you can determine your own strategies. But and, and you can about, and you can adver and you can advertise and rent yourself rather than farming that out to somebody else too. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got I've got a, a couple now that has a management company that handles right. it because yep. they don't want to deal with it. No, they, absolutely, they still want rental property, but they they are willing to give up a little bit. And the, I don't know, the fees and all over the board, but they're not right. they're not huge. No, I mean, you're not giving up all your profit, but right. you're giving up a lot some of the headaches. Right, you know, but. Yeah, so I mean, coming back full circle to the beginning of that question, when is the right time? The right time is, well, two things. One is when you're at the point where you've developed a strategy. You know, I think it's like anything else. You've got a strategy on how you're going to do it, how you're going to handle it, and what you're going to do. Are you going to manage it yourself? Are you going to pay somebody in management? Did you do the research, so on and so forth. But I don't think that's, net, it depends on how you're buying. If you're going into it like a lot of the people that I'm, because I'm dealing with a lot of first-time home buyers and second-time home buyers yep. that are going into it with the thought, I'm not doing anything now other than buying a house to live in, but I want to think about this as a potential rental property down the road when my family grows or whatever. And so that, I think that's where it's good. So it's like, Hey, 
there's no better time. And this is what we're seeing. There's no better time than now to get out there and buy a house, you know, buy a house right now, take advantage of the good rates, live in it for a handful of years. You know, the values are strong. And, you know, when the time comes, if, if you're ready to move laterally uh, because you want to make it a rental property or you're ready to uh, move up and you want to take advantage of the equity, maybe you built up in it. um, That's, that's when you do it. You don't have to make that decision now. Um, Well, and, and the other thing, when we're qualifying you for another place, we can actually use the rental income to offset the mortgage on the, on the old place that you're moving out of. So you don't have to worry about qualifying for both mortgages. We can uh, eliminate that other mortgage with the rent that you, that you have. And and there are certain things that we have to do to uh, document that, uh, what you're going to get and that type of thing. But it is something that you can, um, you can still qualify for the same house moving up than you did uh, if you sell the place. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's, that's a big thing. I think that's one of the things that when people, like I said, I don't think that people have to um, go into it with a, a hard set decision on what they want to do. And I mean, unless you're buying a rental property off the bat, you know, and, th- and there's a whole nother side to that too. And we, we have, a, I've got lifetime customers that do that nonstop. Yep. And they're buying one or two a year. They buy it and they sell it. They buy it and they sell it. Some of yep. them they hold, some of them they flip. It just depends on the deal they, they get. Um, but I mean, that's, that's a, a little bit of a different animal in terms of, you know, what happens. That's probably step two for somebody who wants to become a, you know, somewhat of a real estate investor. Um, and not a full-time investor. I'm talking about like a part-time investor. You know, the, the person that wants to have one or two rental properties and see where it goes. Yep. Um, but, the, but the first step is just making the decision that that is going to be an option for you in the future. And then buying your house with that option in mind, because you're going to make decisions a little bit more different or a little differently, so to speak, um, than you would if you're like going out trying to buy your dream home, the first home. Yep. Your dream home is probably not going to make a really solid rental property down the road. Yep. And what, what we've been talking about is doing, you know, the, the longer term leases and things, but there, there's also the, the Airbnbs and uh, VRBOs and, and those kind of things that, that you can um, get into. And I, I think the, the one thing that you have to look at um, with those is uh, a lot of the cities and things are, are changing the rules on those too. Yeah. So you have to be a little bit careful if that's what your plan is to make sure you're researching um, what the requirements are to be able to do the Airbnbs and things like that. Cause Denver, you know, has some, has some little stricter rules on what you can do with Airbnbs and, and that type of thing. So it's something that you, you should definitely look into if that's what you're looking at. Um, in the resort areas and those types of things too, it's, um, you can make a lot of money doing that. But qualifying wise and, and that type of thing, we, we, uh, we treat Airbnbs a little different than the one, two, two year lease type of uh, situations. Right. So, exactly. Um, so if you have any questions at all about rentals, um, type the word rental to, or text the word rental to 720-650-6440. And we would be happy to answer any questions that you have about rentals um, that you have. Uh, anything else about, about rentals you want to? Uh, I mean, we could go deep, 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 deep. Right. And I think it's, I think we've covered, I think we've scratched the surface and I think hopefully we're giving people some of the information they need to at least yep. just start thinking more deeply about it. Uh, again, I mean, I can't recommend enough 
taking advantage of the, the, the opportunity for buying a house to live in, taking advantage of the rates that would be owner occupied yep. uh, rates and living in it for a year or two and then potentially moving on to something else and yep. renting that out after. I mean, that just, to me, that makes the most sense. Um, and again, we're, there's probably not some major real estate investor out there looking at what we're saying because we're talking more just pure residential, uh, you know, type language um, in terms of, you know, going to homeowners and helping them build wealth through real estate. So I think that that really sets the tone for what we really believe in. Um, and hopefully, like I said, gives some food for thought for anybody that's listening in terms of, hey, maybe I do want to rent this out down the road. Yep. Um, and we've got a whole other show that we can do at some point that talks about what that, you know, the different ways that investment properties or looking at your real estate as a, uh, as a wealth building avenue or channel, with, you know, all the different ways that, that can provide you with wealth down the road. Equity well, to cash flow to all these different things. Right. And, and we could do a, a two week class, eight hours a day on investment properties and how to, how to make money. Cause there's, there's so many different ways to do it. Um, but we, we, we know all those ways and we can talk about, about those things one-on-one. -on -one. We'd love to, to talk to you about any of these things. So if you have questions about down payment, you have questions about qualifying, you have questions about rental income, rental properties, we would be happy to talk to you. Um, any, any, any questions that you have, uh, just text us and we are, or direct message us any way that you want to get a hold of us. And we'd be happy to answer any of those questions. You can always visit us at www.coloradomortgageadvice.com or text 720-650-6440 and we will get with you and, um, make an appointment to uh, do a one-on-one -on -one call and um, make sure whether we answer any questions that you have. Yep. So until next week, we will uh, talk to you later. Have a great day.